Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sanya Faruqi show. Today, we have a writer from London. I'm going to quickly introduce you to her, Yusra Imran. She's an Egyptian English writer, a Muslim feminist who's passionate about women's rights, gender justice, disability awareness, mental health, and women in Islam. She works and lives in West Yorkshire. She has been writing from the moment she learned how to hold a pen and currently works full-time in her marketing and events in the education sector. Yusra grew up between the UK and the Middle East and has a BA honors in international re relations. She recently published her book, Hijab and Red Lipstick. I just finished reading it and I absolutely loved it. I'm not going to talk much about it because I want Yusra to tell us a little about it. So um, thank you, Yusra. A very warm welcome to you. And thank you so much for coming on the Sanya Paruki show today. Hello, Sanya. Thank you so, so much for inviting me and for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you today. Likewise, likewise. You know, I wanted to start talking about your book. I just finished reading it today. So tell us a little about why you chose this particular topic, you know, a little about your own journey when it comes to your own identity. You've lived in two different parts of the world, both geographically and, uh, you know, culturally, you know, from uh, your British, your your Egyptian, you've grown up in the UK and in the Middle East. So talk a little about your experience. And as you said, you know, a lot of, 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 of everything that has shaped your writing as well. So um, I've always been writing, as you said earlier, um, from the moment I could hold a pen, um, always writing stories and poems, which I think, um, I think that's quite normal for a lot of children when they're in school. Um, but um, never took it like very seriously, I think, until um, I finished university and I started to work as a freelance journalist while I was looking for a full-time job. So growing up in London, um, I felt like I was a pretty average British Arab child slash teenager, nothing particularly exciting or special going on in my life. Um, and then I moved to Qatar in the Arabian Peninsula um, when I was 15. Uh, my dad got a job out there, we all moved out there. And then um, not only was I dealing with the culture shock of moving from the UK to the Gulf, I was also dealing with a completely new legal system. Um, Qatar functions very similar to Saudi Arabia where um, it's under the guardianship system. So legally as a female you need to have a male guardian's permission for literally every single thing you need to do in your life um that was quite shocking for me especially as a teenager yeah um i lived in qatar for 15 years so going from a teenager to a young adult to a fully grown adult in my late 20s um i, I left qatar when i was 29 mm. and there was just a lot of things that I witnessed out there and things that I'd, I'd experienced myself, which I felt were very unfair as a female, um, as a woman. And a lot of things that I saw other people go through as well, um, you know, men and uh, as well, that I always told myself, okay, I'm living in this country where there's very heavy, sen heavy censorship, but if I, if I ever go back to the UK one day, I am going to write a book based on everything I've seen out there so that people can get an insight into life in a Gulf country because I feel like and you know even until now um, we don't really get a glimpse or an insight into life in the Gulf 
um, especially from a young person who has lived there for 15 years. Um, I might have been an expat, but I didn't really get that British expat experience. So many Western expats, when they get a job out in the Gulf, they'll live in like a very glamorous compound or a luxury tower of apartments. And they live a, a life that's completely separate to like the, the local population. Um, when my dad moved us all over, we sort of lived right in the middle of the local population. And um, so I never got that sort of Western expat experience. I went from being a British Arab teenager in London to really living very much like um, the other Arab girls and the other Qatari girls that were around me. Um, so that's where, you know, the inspiration for hijab and red lipstick and um, that's where the reason for writing it came from. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about the book, but before that, I just want to know a little about when you say um, the local experience that you had living in Qatar. Give us a little glimpse into what those uh, experiences were like. So very similar to the, the Qatari girls and the Arab girls that I went to school and university with, um, there were a lot of there were a lot of rules and things that I was allowed to do and not allowed to do, things that had absolutely nothing to do with my religion of Islam. Um, just a lot of things that were being forced on me that had never happened when, we were when I was growing up in the UK. And it was just very interesting when, whenever I went to school and sat and talked with my Qatari girlfriends and for the same thing at university, for them to find that um, I'm a quote unquote British Muslim or British Arab young woman, but that I'm actually going through the same experiences as they are and, and having to follow the same rules. So things like um, being constantly, you know, being constantly picked on and being told that I have to wear my hijab in a certain way. Um, I wore the black, it's called a black shela, the black wraparound hijab black habaya, just like my Qatari girlfriends. Um, a lot of other rules, like not being allowed to wear makeup out or um, very strict rules around going out without any permission, always having to ask permission for everything, even something as simple as going to the local store. Um, and then, you know, things that Qatari girls thought that I wouldn't have had to go through, but like asking, having to have permission to go to university or to get a driving license, having to have permission to go to work. Even though I was an expat, I was having to do the exact same things as my Qatari female peers at university. Yeah. So what is hijab and red lipstick about? Very quickly, give us a brief. You can't, you don't want to tell the whole story, but just tell yeah. us about what the book is. So in a nutshell, I'll try to summarize it as best as I can. Hijab and red lipstick is an insight into life um, as a mixed race, um, British and uh, Egyptian or British Arab teenager and young woman, and what it's like to move from um, the UK to the Arabian Gulf, and what it's like basically to live under the guardianship system. Um, and it looks a lot at um, some men, not all men, but some men who really abuse the way that the legal system works in the Gulf mm -hmm. and use those laws to their advantage to abuse and to control the, their, female, their female family members. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, one of the recurring themes in your book that I came across, or rather words that I came across a lot were makeup, fashion, fashion magazines, music. Do you think these are very hard battles for young Muslim girls growing up in certain countries? Or, I mean, are, are they still a taboo? Tell me a little about what you, you saw when you were growing up and how did you come about making that such a strong theme in your book? So the reason why I delved into things that seem very simple, like, you know, putting on some eyeshadow or lipstick or wanting to read a teenage magazine or listen to music. These are things that are very simple. Like, um, I mean, in other countries, teenagers just do these things without having to ask permission. You know, you take them for granted. Whereas certainly in my experience and in the women that were in my circle as teenagers and young women, um, sometimes some of these things were forbidden and they seemed like such simple things with no real basis in the religion as to why they were forbidden. Yeah. So when we're taught being told this is forbidden, you're not allowed to listen to music, you're not allowed to read this book or read this magazine um, or wear makeup. And I would ask why, I, I need a logical explanation. I need you, you know, as my parents explain why or as my father to explain why. There was no real explanation. So to me, it just seemed like completely illogical. And I think it's very natural, any teenager from any country in the world, when something is forbidden without a, without actually, you know, explaining the reasons why you're going to, re to rebel. Yeah. So these sort of little themes of red lipstick and, you know, listening to music, these were, these were things that the main character, they weren't huge battles, but they were like little acts of defiance. So she may have not won the freedom to big life decisions, but by standing her ground for these little freedoms, these were acts of defiance and she stood her ground and, and she finally won these little freedoms. Yeah, yeah. Um, your book also talks a lot about personal freedom and you've tried to use the red lipstick as a juxtaposition to show what freedom at a granular level means. So what are the taboos that you're trying to break by, um, you know, using this theme? So um, because the book is set in the Gulf and um, there's actually very few books written in English about life growing up in the Arabian Gulf or what life is actually like for the local population. Um, there are Arab, Arabic novels out, out there, but very few of them are even translated into English. Um, I felt like it was a sort of insight or exclusive insight into what life is actually like out there. Um, out there, people are very, are very private and guarded about their family and their private lives. So you never really get to hear or read in the news about what life is actually like as a young woman or as a young man out there. There's still this big stigma, and I think this exists in quite a few cultures, where you're told that it's shameful to talk about your family life, you're airing, you know, you're putting out your dirty laundry for the public to see. And I sort of reject this notion. I reject the idea of shame it's shameful as a young woman to talk openly about life and openly about you know societal societal issues so things that were considered taboo when I was growing up in the Gulf were things like um, intimacy and relationships outside of marriage um, things like domestic abuse domestic violence sexual assault sexual um, violence 
things like homophobia because um, while I was growing up there and I was going to high school, I did have friends and I did have classmates that identified as queer or gay and there was a lot of homophobia. So I was trying um, to tackle these issues but through the eyes of a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a little about the stereotypes that are set towards Muslim women in hijab, including wearing a red lipstick. You know, what? why is it such a big deal? So um, I ended up choosing the title hijab and red lipstick because like you said, of the juxtaposition between the two items. Um, they're both exterior items, you know, of one is an item of clothing, one is makeup. And there's like these ideas around hijab and around red lipstick. So um, there are some stereotypes, both Western and non-Western stereotypes that women that do wear a head cover and, you know, it's not just Muslim women, there's women from other faiths that also choose to cover their hair. There's this idea of it being um, to make women submissive, submissive, hide away, um, that a woman that wears a headscarf, you know, mm. is going to be very quiet. And then you've got red lipstick and red lipstick is very bold and brave. Um, and there's also stereotypes around red lipstick. So in, for example, England in the Victorian times, any woman that wore a lot of makeup, like a lot of red blush or red lipstick, there was the stereotype around her being a hussy or a cheap woman. And this stereotype actually exists in some parts of the world until, until today. So still in Egypt, um, until quite recently in the Gulf, um, anyone that went out with bright red lipstick again was like, oh my gosh, um, she's so shameless or she must be, you know, a sinful or a, or a shameful woman. Not so much now, I think, in the Gulf nowadays. Nowadays, you, if you go to the UAE or Saudi Arabia or Qatar, it's very normal to see um, a woman walking about now with a full face of makeup. But it was back when I was growing up, which was like the 90s and the 2000s, where there was still this big taboo about going out with a full face of makeup and wearing a headscarf. Yeah, yeah. So um, how has that changed now? Have you like personally experienced any sort of um, questioning or an attack or even your book? It's, it's a very strong book, even for um, the community to, you know, read through. So what, what has been the reaction from that also? So um, I left Qatar in 2018 and um, like I said, things have started to change there, but things have started to change in a sort of, again, a very exterior sense. So modernization in the Gulf, it's all very exterior, skyscrapers and women driving, you know, um, sports cars now and wearing designer clothes and makeup. These are all very superficial forms of freedom. But still now in the year 2020, if you live in Qatar as a woman, as a Qatari woman, you could be 35, 36, 37, and you will be still stopped in the airport at passport control and asked to show proof that you have permission from a male guardian to travel. So we're in 2020, 21, and the guardianship system is still going strong in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, in terms of reaction to my book, I always knew from I always knew from day one that it was going to be quite a controversial book with controversial topics, um, and that there might be certain parts of like the Muslim or Arab or even the Asian community that might not like the subjects that I delve into 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 the book because some of the topics are so taboo. Yeah. Um, but I really feel again like this whole 
um, this whole idea of it being shameful as a Muslim or Arab or, or Asian or any other woman to talk openly about, about your life, I feel like we have to now reject this concept of shame. We need to talk openly about these issues if we're ever going to address these issues within our communities. And so most of the, most of the feedback and, and the reactions I've had to my I've had to my book so far have been very, very positive. But yes, there has been a little bit of backlash from the more co conservative um, sects of the community. Yeah, yeah. So talking about guardianship, now in a few countries, like you mentioned, it's part of the law. It's, it's you know, it's legal to question, it's legal to, um, you know, have a guardian, uh, you know, backing you each time you step out or not backing, more or less, you know, with you each time you step out. So how do Muslim women break free from such structures, which are also very deeply rooted in patriarchy? It's, it's you know, it's, it's a mixture of both. And um, so you know, how, how is that going to change? Or what, rather, a, what are the women doing to make that change? So like you said, it's, it's a very difficult legal structure um, in the Gulf, which um, I would say um, has a basis on the Wahhabi administration of the governments um, there. So most of the governments in the Gulf are backed by like a Wahhabi administration. So it's the Wahhabi in interpretation of the religion. Mm -hmm. And this interpretation is very patriarchal. It mm -hmm. does see the, the, the male or the man as a guardian over the, over the woman. Um, in some cases, in some more extreme interpretations, seeing the man as having a higher status than the woman. Mm -hmm. um, so there are, there are groups of, of human rights activists and women's rights activists that are out there trying to make a change, trying to, to call for the end to the guardianship system in the Gulf. But unfortunately, in places like Saudi Arabia, we've been seeing, we've been following the, the news, women's rights activists like Lujain al-Hadlul have been put in prison, have been subjected to torture for calling, simply calling for an end to the guardianship system. Um, I don't believe this has taken place on the same scale in other Gulf countries. In other Gulf countries, there still is a very heavy censorship system. So I remember just being at the university in Qatar. I went to the state university there. And one of our professors being um, very vocal about women's rights and the need for women's rights in the Gulf and the need for a reinterpretation of the legal system and to get rid of this idea of a, a man being higher than a woman. And because she spoke openly, her contract at the university was, was terminated. So it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, it sometimes does feel like it's, it can even feel dangerous to be a women's rights activist in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, we're going to be running out of time. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, coming back to your book, Hijab and Red Lipsticks, um, how do you identify with the protagonist? Is she based on you or is she a completely fictional character? So like most writers, a lot of writers do tend to write um, things that they know. So I would say that the book is loosely based on my own life, but also based on the lives of friends and women that were in, are within my circle, both with, at, in London and also other women that were with me at university in Qatar and who have lived at, elsewhere in the Middle East. Um, I talked at great length with them, got their permission for, you know, for certain aspects of their experiences and their stories. And it's a combination of, of that. So what I'm trying to say by that is that 
of course, not all women out there have had um, the same experiences. Every Muslim, every Arab woman is an individual and singular person that has their own experience. But the fact that I'm not the only one that witnessed and experienced these things, there's a whole circle of women around me, proves that there is a common thread running throughout you know, our lives. And can, that can definitely be attributed to the guardianship system in the Gulf. All right. Uh, thank you, Yusra. On that note, we are going to wrap up. Thank you so much. It was uh, wonderful to have you on the Sanya Paruki show. And I hope the people who watched it will go grab her book. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the best that I have read. And like you said, there aren't many books written on uh, the theme that you have selected, you know, mixed, uh, you know, growing up in Britain, growing up in, in the Middle East and telling that sort of uh, experience and story. So thank you. I really enjoyed the book and uh, our conversation today and uh, for those of you who've tuned in thank you so much I hope that you will uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel you will follow us on Facebook on Twitter and Instagram and keep watching the Sanya Faruqi show see you all next week <laughs>